Are you tired of being told what to think and how to act? Well, you are not alone. In case you haven't realized it, you have an internal GPS. It knows all you need to know about how to live your life. So it's about time you stopped letting the media and the government tell you what is true for you. In fact, it is exactly that time. It's time to think for yourself. And here to make sure you're doing just that is your host, mediator, author, and lawyer, Carol Gold. Hi, it's Wednesday, April 27th. I'm Carol Gold, and welcome to Think for Yourself. Let's talk a bit about how we got where we are and where we go from here, because I think it's important to understand a little bit of history, recent history, in order to figure out what steps we need to take now to move in the direction we want to move in. So let me first give you an analogy, and that's this. It's the story of the frog that's placed into the pot of warm water. The frog is fine in the pot of warm water. It's comfortable. There's no threat. But slowly, the burner gets turned up. So the water gets heated, and it gets heated slowly, so slowly that the frog doesn't notice the increase in temperature. And it gets heated up to the point where the frog is boiled to death, obviously. In a sense, I want to take us back to being put into the pot, we as Americans. And I want to go back to actually GPS in cars. I want to start there. Because when GPS was first implemented in our vehicles, and I think we could say that, but for the garments that you plugged in, when they were first put into the automobile itself so that you ordered your car with GPS capability. We're in the um, early 2000s, approximately the early 2000s. And GPS began to give the government and third-party actors the ability to track us where we were at any given point in time in our cars. Then came 2001, 9-11, the attack on the World Trade Center. 45 days after that attack, the Patriot Act was passed. And the Patriot Act allowed the government and its multiple agencies, both internal as in the FBI and Homeland Security, but also the CIA externally, it gave them the capability to encroach upon what was supposed to be only bad actors in the effort to protect the United States from another 9-11. And the Patriot Act was supposed to be finite in nature. It was supposed to end at a given point in time. Well, it didn't do either of those things. Bad actors within our own government agencies used it to spy on Americans in violation of their constitutional rights, and it never expired, so we still have the Patriot Act. But also in 2001, December of 2001, after passage of the Patriot Act, the what's known as shoe bomber tried to enter a plane with plastique in his shoes an explosive, and that forever changed how we approached airline travel. At that point, we became, each one of us, potential shoe bombers, and we all had to take our shoes off, and we all had to stand in line. And then came the metal detectors and all of the invasion of personal physical privacy in being patted down by strangers 
oftentimes the most ludicrous of people. My own example, my mother who is now deceased, I went through Philadelphia airport with her and she was in a wheelchair at the time because she couldn't walk the distance to the concourse, to the gate. I was at the time probably about 50. They let me through and they pulled my mother in the wheelchair aside and did a complete search of her. It was ludicrous and it was shameful because there were people who went through that metal detector in headscarves who were not pulled aside and not patted down. But after the, the shoe bomber, you had to take off your shoes and you had to succumb to that kind of invasion, intrusion of your own personal physical body. And then in 2007, the iPhone was released, which has forever changed our privacy, forever infringed upon it, as has everything Wi-Fi ever since. Not only the internet, not only our iPhones, which allows third-party actors and government to track us everywhere, anytime, including using the camera for reverse purposes to view us instead of us taking pictures of things that we want. And all things, as I said, Wi-Fi, the smart refrigerator, the smart thermostat on your Nest, thermostat, your alarm system, everything that's Wi-Fi allows third-party actors to invade your privacy. So between data collection and smartphones and smart appliances and everything Wi-Fi in 2000 and late 19, early 20 came COVID and the not only intrusion into our privacy, but the taking of our rights in terms of what we could do and where we could go, when we could do it, what stores could stay open, what businesses could not, reached an incredible, hopefully all-time high. But if we look over at China, this isn't the all-time high. It can get worse than where we are now. So thanks to, I would say, between 2000, the year 2000, and the year 2022, where we are now, we have lost... I can't put a percentage on it, but I want to say the majority of our privacy rights in violation of the Constitution of the United States, which is supposed to be the guiding principle. And I'll get to that in a moment, that Constitution. But first, let me say something else. Recently, my daughter has become a flight attendant for one of the major airlines. And of course, one of the things that they tell you when you fly and they're doing the safety presentation as you're taking off, they always say that should those oxygen masks drop down and you are with a child, make sure you put your mask on first, right? And why is that? Well, the obvious answer is, is that because if you pass out from lack of oxygen, you can't help anyone, including your child. And so get yours on, take care of yourself first so that you can be of help to others. Well, along those lines or not, we have sent $14 billion of aid to Ukraine, 14B with a billion. That's enough to build a complete border wall that's needed on our southern border. So if you don't build the border wall and you send $14 billion to Ukraine, you, in essence, put the child's mask on first and you've passed out from lack of oxygen. And there sits the child with no recourse now for an ally because the best ally it had is gone. That's the stupidity 
with which we are approaching what we do with our money. And it isn't you and me, it's the government. It's the Federal Reserve. It's the people we elect that we, well, the Federal Reserve we don't elect. Let me put them aside for a minute. It's a private corporation. But it's the people we elect to public office that allow this nonsense to go on and that participate in this misuse of money. You know, they talk about misinformation and they talk about disinformation, but they don't talk about the misuse, the abuse of access to tax dollars and what happens to those dollars. There are two books I'd like to call attention to. Neither one of them are new, but both of them make a stunning point about what I'm talking about in this particular episode, being a combination of constitutional rights and the invasion thereupon and the usurpation of them. And then secondly, what we do to move forward from where we are now, assuming that we have a positive path forward. And we do. And I'm going to get to that with the second book. But the first book is called The Know Your Bill of Rights book. It's written by Sean Patrick. And it makes the point, first of all, it's a wonderful tour, guided tour through the Bill of Rights. Because if you don't understand the Bill of Rights, you don't understand what you're missing. You don't understand what the Constitution and the founders gave us in the Bill of Rights. You know, Jefferson didn't want a Constitution without a Bill of Rights, and he fought for a Bill of Rights, and he got a Bill of Rights because it was his belief that without it, the rest of it didn't make much sense. You needed the underpinnings of those inalienable and those uh, natural given rights. So in the book, Patrick makes the point that a giant bureaucracy, which is what we have now in Washington, D.C., and also, I would argue, in some of our states, what we have now, this giant bureaucracy has become a political faction of its own. It's like we have three-party system now. We have Republicans and Democrats that we can hardly tell the difference between. And then we have the third-party federal bureaucracy party, which really is running the show. And even though we elect one of the other two every four years for the presidency and every two for the House and every um, four for the Senate as well, or did I just do it backwards, we nonetheless are being governed and ruled by the giant bureaucracy party. The defenders of this administrative state, this federal bureaucracy, this is what they believe. This is what the elitists, this is what the one world government people, this is what our federal government bureaucracy believes. They believe that they are the defenders of that party. I'm going to keep calling it a party because it has become a political party with the influence that one gets when one is elected to the White House and elected to the majority of seats in the Senate and the Congress, and yet none of them are elected, but it's a party. They believe they are the defenders of that party and that they also believe that the complexity of both our modern economy and our diverse society demand expert rule. The experts need to rule us. We don't have the intelligence or the foresight or the intellectual, ethical, or moral capability to do that for ourselves. And in their pursuit of progress, in quotes, and social justice and equity, all of that becomes for them the moral equivalency 
of what is constitutional authority. So we're no longer being guided by constitutional authority and legal precedent that flows from that constitutional authority. We're now being governed by an elite group of people who are defending a party that they've put in place that transcends every election. It stays no matter which party of the other two are in power. They now rule us by some moral equivalency standard, which they get to decide the prioritization of. Here's something that the founders said. I want to read you two quotes. They're both really fundamentally, foundationally important. Here's the first. It remains to be seen if the American people understand or will come to understand themselves as political citizens of the nation state or as administrative subjects of a scientific global order. Much depends upon whether the American people have become so dependent upon the administrative state that the overthrow of the established order is not merely difficult, but undesirable. In that case, political self-government and individual freedom will cease to be important, end quote. That's actually from the book itself. That's not from the founders. It's from the book. But here is from the founders, quote, What if the people were not given an education in natural rights? What if they were ignorant of and indifferent to their natural rights? How would they guard against infringements or even know what constitutes a violation of their natural rights? They would not. And they would be, by definition, willing slaves, end quote. I've talked about this on prior podcasts. I say that we are complicit in our own enslavement. I liken us often to the Jews of ancient Israel who were enslaved to Pharaoh and became comfortable with it, even though they were enslaved. But they got their portion of food and they had their roofs or huts over their head, whatever, although they owed everything to Pharaoh and they were completely at the behest and the direction of Pharaoh. They were comfortable And getting comfortable is a dangerous place to be for a human. I always say the smartest thing we can do is get comfortable being uncomfortable. That means we're forever challenged to question what's going on around us and what we are participating in. And it keeps us thinking for ourselves. So let me, in moving to the second book, which is how we get out of where we are, Let me temporarily use as the segue, or let me use as the segue, Elon Musk and the purchase of Twitter. We were all excited at the prospect that he might, or at least those of us who are not ultra left and liberal were excited at the prospect that he might buy it, that he could actually afford to buy it, and then therefore might buy it, and that his alleged and intended goal was to open it up as a digital town square, which is what he sees it as, and allow free speech to reign there, and to be done with this censorship, cancel culture, content moderation, extremism that has been taking place on Twitter. So it was an exciting prospect. And now he's done it. Now he's bought Twitter. And that left I mentioned earlier is freaking out. I don't know why he's only going to make it more available to more people to have more opinions, to give us more perspective, to allow more of us to, uh uh-huh, wait for it, 
think for ourselves, right? And it's all over the news. That's what everybody's talking about. Either I'm glad he did it or, oh my gosh, I'm having a nervous breakdown. He did it, depending on where you are politically. Okay. But there's a social media platform that is five times the size of Twitter. And that's TikTok, owned by the Chinese government. And on TikTok, which is where our teenagers are, and some of our young adults, and some of our older adults, on TikTok, 15-year-old girls can receive money for stripping on screen. Do I need to repeat that? 15-year-old girls are being paid to strip on screen on TikTok. But that's not the story. The social media platform owned by the Chinese government that has our children and our young adults being groomed and being dumbed down and being manipulated into believing certain things. That's not the story. Twitter is the story because Elon Musk had 44 billion to throw on the table. That's not unimpressive. He is the richest man in the world. But here's why it's a little bit concerning, and I use little bit in a facetious way. The second book, Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. You probably know the book, but if you don't, Ayn Rand was probably somewhere beyond libertarian. She was an agnostic, but she was a prescient visionary because she came out of the former Soviet Union and she knew communism and she knew socialism And she knew what that kind of authoritarian totalitarianism does to a culture and to a people. And she wrote several books, one of which was Atlas Shrugged, that became probably the book that most closely predicted where we are now. The bureaucratic state taking over, the administrative state, the bureaucrats running everything in violation of not only the law, the spirit and principles that founded the United States. And it's about the complete breakdown of society, the poverty that came from the economic policies and the people who died because of it, and the cities, particularly New York City, that became a wasteland. There's a hero in Atlas Shrugged, and his name is John Galt. And when you open the book, the first line of Atlas Shrugged is... Who is John Galt? And that becomes a theme throughout the book. Why? Because John Galt drops out of, well, first he he rails against, he anonymously rails against, he gets control of the communication system and he's able to broadcast nationally. He rails against what's happening, against the bureaucracy, against the encroachment of freedoms, the loss of personal freedoms, the deterioration of the economic system and the policies that support it, and the destruction of the society. And then after railing against it and making one of the most eloquent speeches you will ever read or hear, he starts an alternate society somewhere fictitiously behind a mountain somewhere where other people begin to drop out, the industrialists, the entrepreneurs, the people who still believe in the America that existed before its deterioration. They drop out, they disappear, and they show up in this new society. And those who remain continue to, so to speak, die on the vine. A few weeks ago, I thought of Elon Musk as John Galt. 
I've always wished I could meet John Galt. I always wished there was a real John Galt, and I had the privilege in my life of meeting him. You know, in some ways, I would like to be John Galt, but I don't have either, I guess, the microphone, the resources, or perhaps the ideas sufficient to create that alternate society. But I would have loved to have met John Galt if he existed. And as I said, a few weeks ago, I thought about Elon Musk as John Galt. But here's the thing. John Galt did speak up against the bureaucracy and he did opt out and create an alternate paradigm. But it took the others who saw truth to drop out also. He wasn't a savior. He didn't do it for anybody else. He did it for himself and himself alone. But it was so true and so magnetic, so electric, so desirable that others who saw and had the same vision followed. He only led the way. He was only the knight on the first horse charging. He wasn't the army that came behind. He didn't do it for them. They did it for themselves. Elon Musk is not our savior. A lot of people are acting this week like he is. No one person can do it for us. Elon Musk is a brilliant visionary and a unique human being. He's also human and therefore flawed. He's manufacturing Teslas. His second largest plant in the world is in the same province where the Chinese are genocidally eliminating the Uyghurs. I can't reconcile that. He's not John Galt. He's just someone who believes unconditionally in free speech, at least in this country, and he's putting his money where his mouth is. But he's not my savior. He's not your savior. You and I have to do it for ourselves. And so on a small scale, we can emulate Elon Musk. We can in our own lives and should in our own lives and must in our own lives stand up to the encroachment on our freedoms, on the annihilation of privacy, on the misuse of tax dollars, on the corruption in government, both federal and state and local. Don't kid yourself. It's happening local with every one of your zoning officers and building codes and kickbacks for being able to put communities where they shouldn't be or buildings where they shouldn't be. It's endemic. It's systemic. We're not systemically racist. We may be systemically corrupt at the moment in our governance, but that's curable. But it's going to take you and it's going to take me and it's going to take each and every one of us standing and willing to fight for the things that are put in front of us. Twitter is not your fight. It's Elon Musk's fight. But believe me, somewhere in your life today, there is a fight to be had. And I don't mean violence. I mean a principled fight to stand for. Look for it. Engage it. Put your arms around it. And don't let it go until that which you know to be true is the result of the discrepancy that you see in front of your own eyes and hear with your own ears and know for a fact that this isn't the way it should be and that the way it should be requires you and requires me to be the one voice that makes a difference. Thanks for listening. 
I'm Carol Gold. I'll be back here again on Friday. And until I am, by all means, think for yourself. Carol thanks you for spending your valuable time with her. It is her mission to empower you to remember how smart and capable you are. Be sure to check out Carol's website, carolgold.com. That's carol with an E, gold.com. Please leave a review and subscribe here so you'll be alerted to Carol's next podcast. Until then, above all else, remember, it's time to think for yourself.